0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Amen. Thanks, Simon. How great is our God. Amen. So good. So... I just want to do a little recap, tell you where we are, if you can't remember. So Tom's been doing a series on Philippians. Well, he started a series on Philippians, he hasn't got very far. Um, and the Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, which is a church that he started. And so we, me and Margaret decided to do a little bit of backstory, you know, while Tom's on holiday, hopefully having a break. Um, we decided to do a little bit of backstory from Acts about the Philippian church and how it started. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm carrying on from where Margaret left off. So the book of Acts is written by Luke and it's the account of the first missionary journeys of the new church, of the New Testament church. So Margaret shared about Lydia, uh, if you remember, that was the first convert and Graham did a very good kid's talk with a a baptismal sheet that Abby, you know, (laughs) did some sort of uh, acrobatics behind. Um, And she was the first convert in Europe so there's some specifics that we want to remember to this part of the story. Uh, The Holy Spirit had prevented them from going elsewhere. So they were trying to go somewhere else, a couple other places, and the Holy Spirit prevented them, that's what the scriptures say, and directed them to Philippi. So God's got plans for Philippi, and he's like, nope, you're going this way. So the Holy Spirit prevented them. There's specific encounters that they have in Philippi, and Philippi is a Roman colony. So those are the, the kind of settings. So if you recall that Paul and Silas had been going down to the river to pray, and this is the other point, is there was no synagogue there, so they were going down to the river to pray. And that's where they met Lydia, and that's where she got converted. So we're going to continue on here. So I'm reading from the NIV, and it's Acts 16. If you want to turn to it, it's going to be on the screen, whichever you prefer. So 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She should have shouted that. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks." So that's where we are in Acts. Everybody wants to know the future, am I right? People everywhere, they wanna know what's gonna happen. They wanna know how to avoid death. They wanna know how to avoid problems in their lives and how they can make a fortune, how they can be rich, make money, be happy. And maybe you guys are worried about the future too. Uh, what happens after we die or whether you're going to have enough money to live on when you're old how many people in this room have thought if only I'd known if only I'd invested in such and such you know I could have made loads of money or I could have done this I'm sure a lot of us have thought those kind of thoughts we want to know the future I heard a story the other day about the past, the present and the future and they all walked into a bar and everything got really tense (laughs) sorry that's a really bad one have any of you seen the Back to the Future Trilogy? Well, it's about time. Oh, oh, yeah. I know, really bad. Anyway, I love the Back to the Future Trilogy. I really like these films. I always have film references in my preachers. I've watched a, lot, watched a lot of films. But do any of you remember Marty's um, mistake with the sports almanac? So basically, Marty's the character in this story, and he's gone into the future, and he sees this book that's got loads of sporting fixtures in it from the past 30 years. So he has this brainwave that, ah, if I take this book back into the past, I can give it to myself, and I can change my fortunes. And really, he's trying to change his past to change his future. But it all was terribly wrong. You need to watch films, but it falls in the wrong hands. And it doesn't work, and it's a disaster. What's interesting is that we see that it's the same in the past in Philippi as today. This future lady, as I've decided to call her, is telling fortunes, and people want to know what's gonna happen, how to change things. They've got the same anxieties as people do today, and they want to know what's coming. They want to get a warning any way that they can. So people are still doing this. They're still trying to find out what's coming. They may not be building time machines, well, some people might be, Um, but yeah, they want to know what's coming. They want to know how they can change everything or make a fortune or live securely. And we want these kind of things too. Am I right, Have, have any of you had these thoughts? Hands, show hands. Anybody had these thoughts? Some people had these thoughts. We're trusting in the wrong things. And in us Christians, it shows a tremendous lack of faith when we do this. And I hope you noticed that I put my hand up there as well. So It shows that we don't trust God for his plans for us, that we don't trust that everything's in his hands and that he's placed us where he's placed us for specific purposes. And that can be hard when you're going through difficult times to realize that God's put us here for specific reasons and that it's still in his hands. Wider society don't trust God. They want to know the future and we do too, but we shouldn't be bound by anxiety. Jesus told us to trust in him and that he's coming back. I'm not precisely sure exactly when. I'm not precisely sure exactly how it's gonna pan out, but he said he's coming and he's already come to set captives free. So let's get into this text and see what it says. So in verse 16, they were going to the place of prayer. Remember Margaret touched on this. That's the first thing she spoke about the other week. There's no synagogue there and they're going down to the river to pray. Down to the river to pray, that's a song, isn't it? But it's not just, it's not just that they're going there to pray. There's, this is an important part of the story because it's strategic to Paul's strategy. If you look at other stories, he goes to the synagogue or he goes to these places because he's got intention he intends to meet people that are receptive to the gospel that are already praying that already have a mindset of seeking God he's it's strategic this is what he does this is a strategy so there's purpose to this, and we saw that with Lydia he goes down she's already worshiping God to some extent they meet and she's receptive to the gospel and she gets baptized so it's part of the strategy he's a rabbi and he's showing them how the scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus by going down there So it's easier for him to start with folk who have some idea of what he's talking about and then expands on that. And if they refuse, then he goes to the Gentiles, as we see later on. In Matthew, when Jesus told his disciples to go into towns, that's what he told them to do. Find people of peace and then move from there. People who are receptive. So the point I want to make about that is that he's not telling everybody, is he? He's going to specific places. He's not got a sign on him saying the end is nigh. He's not walking around shouting about it. He goes to the river where people are praying. It's specific, it's strategic. So he's not shouting about it. So this verse goes on and says, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So my first point I want to make is that there's anxiety over the future here. Enter the future lady, the fortune teller. This is where the trouble all begins in this story. So if you notice that the description that Luke gives, he doesn't say a trickster or a fraudster or a scam artist, but he says somebody with a spirit of divination. That's another translation, spirit of divination, a spirit by which she predicted the future. And that's because there's a real element to this. It's not just a big scam. Her owners might be making a meal of it, but there's this real spiritual aspect of what she's able to do. And it's not a scam. This stuff's real and it's a warning to us. The devil's greatest trick at this moment in history is trying to make everybody believe that he doesn't exist. She clearly has got some abilities through this spirit and these guys owners, are owners, they're taking advantage of her and they're taking advantage of other people, anxious people who want answers and who want to know the future. And they're using it to their advantage. They're using this girl and they're, they're making money off of it. So the other reason that we know that this is an evil spirit working in her is through the next verse, verse 17. It says she's following them and she's shouting about who they are. So where, where else do we hear about this kind of behavior? When Jesus meets demons and evil spirits, they start saying who he is. They know who he is and they start shouting at him. When Jesus met demons in Mark 123, they recognized him and they start telling him who he is. And this girl's the same. The spirit in her sees and identifies Jesus in Paul and Silas. And she starts raving about it. So back in the summer, we went through a whole series about spiritual warfare and about uh, the armor of God. This stuff is real. Not all of it, but some of it, sure. And we really need to, to know that and identify it because it's not of God. These spirits are real, and they've got a certain amount of limited power and ability And they're deceivers, like the great deceiver. Some of these predictions might be accurate, but the whole purpose is to point you away from trusting in God, point you away from the ultimate authority in honoring God to something else, to whatever you're looking for. We see examples of this elsewhere in the Bible. In Exodus chapter seven, where the sorcerers of Egypt, they could do similar miracles to Aaron and Moses. So Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake, and so do they. They can do stuff as well. But then his snake eat, eats all the other snakes. So yeah, it's a good story. You check that one out. We see it in Saul, with Saul in, in 1 Samuel 28 where he consults a medium to bring up the spirit of Samuel to speak to him. There's a real spiritual element to this stuff and we need to be careful. And if you're dabbling with this, stop it. It's not of God. These spirits will accept worship wherever they can get it. And the devil's plan is to get your allegiance to something else other than God. It's to stop you trusting in God as the ultimate authority," I' said. So what we see here is what I mentioned before, is that in this Roman society, 2,000 years ago, people are as anxious as they are now about the future and about their happiness, and they're happy to pay for a word about their future, be it a fake one or be it a real one. And they're held by anxiety and they want to change their circumstances and the future. And Jesus tells us not to worry. It's natural that we should be, well, it's natural that we're anxious. We get anxious thoughts, but we need to know how to turn things to God. We need to know how to turn and give them to God so that we can be at peace, that it's in his hands. And that's the right thing to do with anxious thoughts. But it's hard and sometimes we can feel bound. Some people are completely bound by this. And Jesus wants us to free us from this kind of anxious thinking. He says in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than the food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? We have anxious thoughts, but he says, do not, it's a command. Do not worry. He's got it in hand. So we have to learn in his strength how to handle these thoughts and what to do with them and how we can give them back to him. But some people, as I said, they're held captive. They're under bondage of it. Maybe not in the same way as this girl's you know, possessed, but they are under a different kind of bondage. So we see in the next verses, I just want to recap. Are you still keeping up with me? You know where we are? Sorry, I'm jumping about a bit. So we've got future ladies possessed by this spirit, and we've got anxious people being taken advantage of. So the second point I wanna make is that there's release for the captive. So verse 17 and 18, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days and then Paul gets annoyed. So why is he annoyed? What's she saying? I mean, she's telling everybody who they are and that they're there to tell them how to get saved. You're like, bonus this woman's doing the work, you know? But she's not, you know? Firstly, he's probably annoyed about the actual harassment of it. It sounds a bit annoying. Secondly, it's not in line with the strategy that we talked about where he goes to places where people are receptive, specifically. Thirdly, it's not a proclamation enabled by the Holy Spirit proclaiming truth. It's a disruptive, possibly sarcastic, proclamation from an evil spirit possibly mocking, doesn't give us enough information to say that, but I've said it anyway, snarling could be, it's annoying anyway, and it's not the spirit of God that's, that's saying it. What we do know is it's an evil spirit and it's exploiting. It's exploiting a person, it's exploiting other people, it's exploiting the anxious for their money, and it's exploiting this girl for profit for these owners. And it's making a name for itself as an authority within this town, Fourthly, I think he's annoyed that allowing her to continue is giving this credit to her. It's giving credit to a spirit of the fortune t- that's in this fortune teller by telling people who they are. Because it's actually accurate. So when things happen, people, oh, she was right. She was right about them. So it's, it's doing service to her abilities and her reputation. And it's bolstering her position as a medium within the town. And it's giving credence to the spirit that Paul knows to be the wrong spirit. So this is important in God's plan in Philippi because Paul and Silas are going, to talk, they're going around talking about another spirit, the Holy Spirit. So if this girl's still around and she's showing off, you know, her accurate predictions and ability, it's just going to look to the Romans that, oh, th- this Holy Spirit's just another one of the gods that we can worship because they had a lot of them. So part of God's plan here, it seems, is to be glorified by showing that he is above all of this, that he's number one. So he allows this to happen and for him to be annoyed by it so that God can cast out the Spirit, this woman, in front of everybody. So in the next verse, Paul turns around and he tells the Spirit to come out in Jesus' name. And it might be Paul that says this, but whose name is it in? Who does this work? It's the work of the Holy Spirit through him. The Holy Spirit urged him to do this. And God works through him. Jesus brings release. He brings release from the evil spirit's hold through Paul. Release from the exploitation of the propheters, and opportunity for redemption and for wholeness. That sounds good, huh? Eh? This is what Jesus came to do. To release us from the evil that bound us up. Paul and Silas are preaching the message of Christ and the cross. And it might look like this is a distracting part of the story that needs to be dealt with, but it's actually a chance for compassion. And it's a chance for freedom. And it might not seem like it, but it's a chance for compassion from God on this woman from releasing her from this evil spirit. It's a chance for God to be glorified through a miraculous work. And it's a good example of how he can work through seemingly annoying distractions. You know, this just seems like a by the by thing. Oh, this has happened and I'll just turn around. And... But it's important to the whole story. It's important to God's plan, what he's doing. This is an example of how God wants to free us from the things that bind us up, from whatever that holds us back. And he came to free us from sin once and for all. And it's not just people from demons, but also people from anxiousness about the future. He wants to free people from that as well. With a word from Jesus, the darkness retreats. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we don't get any more information about, in the text about her. That's, that's all we've got about her. It seems to be that from this event, then all this chaos starts to happen. And uh, this part for me is uh, my own speculation, so it's not in the Bible, but I think that this is a specific story and it's likely significant that she's there. You know, possibly not, but it seems that Luke's included this story not just for the event itself. It seems that I imagine she, once she was freed from this, they would want to tell her who freed her. And I think that's what they would do. I mean, Paul and Silas obviously get arrested, but Luke doesn't. So do they find her? Does she become part of this church and a significant role in this church? Because we've got three accounts of people in different stages, and Margaret's going to talk about the next one in a couple of weeks. But I believe that she becomes significant in this church. Like I say, that's my speculation, and you have to weigh that for yourself. So now comes the flip. Are you still keeping up with me where we are? Spirit's been cast out. Everything's going fine, and now comes the flip. Point three, Paul becomes the captive. So in these verses that follow, there's basically a riot breaks out uh, and these, uh, around these two guys because of what's happened. The owners of this slave girl, future lady, are, they're super angry because they can't make many more money. And uh, yeah, she's lost her ability, uh, and they can't exploit her anymore. And they're probably embarrassed And Satan's probably embarrassed, because it's, you know, this was a bit of his plan. It's all gone to pot now, so things get really ugly. And so they drag them away, and they start accusing them as Jews who are teaching weird things amongst the Romans. I mean, Paul's got this ace up his sleeve that he's actually a Roman citizen, but he's not gonna use it now, he keeps a hold of that. And this is a Roman colony, so they stir up the crowd, and they say that these guys are teaching stuff that's unlawful for us Romans to hear we're not allowed to worship like this and so they get them severely flogged and thrown in jail in the stocks and that's exactly what you think it is it's those wooden things from old films that they fasten around your feet so you can't run away or move and it's actually the exact sort of thing that you wanted to lock your brother in when you were little so you could throw tomatoes at them that's exactly what it is but actually this is really serious i mean it's not good paul and silas are now the captives everything's flipped What's going on? I mean, the Holy Spirit's just in a work. He's just in a miracle through them. And now they've released a slave girl and now they're beaten and they're captives and they're flogged. And it sounds horrendous. And it all happens pretty quickly by the sounds of it. I mean, can you guys imagine being Paul now? I imagine I would be pretty distraught now. Like, God, oh, I was doing your work and now I'm in jail and I've been beaten up. And what are you doing? I think you'd be crying out, what is going on? And th- this kind of testimony really goes against this common misconception that sometimes goes around that if you become a Christian, everything's going to go lovely and smoothly for you. Awkward. <laughs> These are our heroes in this, you know, doing the work of God, and he's in jail, and they've been beaten, and I bet he was a bit anxious. I mean, some people might not believe that, but I believe he probably was a bit anxious at this moment. But it's what's he going to do with that anxiety? Where is he going to turn to? Is he going to turn and give that back to God and turn it into worship and praise? And Margaret's going to look at his attitude, as I said, in a few weeks and what happens in this next situation as they're in the jail. I think there's two main things that we can take away from this part of the passage. And the first thing is that doing the right thing doesn't mean that everything goes well after. Speaking out for God and doing his will It doesn't mean that everything is just gonna run smoothly. Some people are gonna hate you for it. And sometimes you're gonna get in a lot of trouble. You might have false accusations. You might be imprisoned, accused, beaten. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna resist? Are you gonna fight your corner? It doesn't seem that Paul and Silas did that, that we know of. Or are we gonna trust God that his ways are higher and that he's got this in hand too? It's easy to say. They were likely apprehensive about the situation, but I think that they had ultimate trust in God that He would make a way. Excuse me. In Matthew 5:10, Jesus said, It's quite a famous bit of passage. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Whoa, when you think about that, that is heavy stuff. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. This is real Sermon on the Mount stuff that they're doing now. They've been beaten, and they've been thrown in jail for the sake of Jesus' name. And Paul and Silas, they believe that it's worth it. They believe that the blessing and the reward in heaven far outweighs the seemingly terrible earthly consequences. They feel blessed because of what's going on. That is very challenging. Their future eternally is secure, and they don't need to worry about it. And they're willing to go through whatever happens for the sake of Jesus because they know that. The second thing that I think we can take from this is that Jesus will build his church and he'll build it his way. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. The purpose of Paul and Silas being there is for God to build his church. As we've read, the things didn't go maybe quite as they thought they would. But we need to trust him that his ways are higher than ours and that he knows exactly what he's doing. If we're seeking first his kingdom and we're acting on the prompting of the Holy Spirit, then we don't need to worry about what comes next because God's got it in hand, even if it looks terrible. We can trust him, even in adversity, even when he leads us into situations that we can't see or understand what's going on. We don't need to be anxious about the future. We need to trust God and we can be free from anxiousness. Jesus wants to release us from those thoughts. In Luke 4, 19, he quotes Isaiah saying, God sent him to set the prisoner and the oppressed free. Jesus doesn't want us to be bound up by things that we're carrying or by trying to make ourselves happy in the future by getting that right thing so that we can be set. We need to trust in his plans. He makes it really clear that it can be hard for us to imagine, sorry, he makes it really clear but it can be really hard for us to imagine because it's very countercultural right now. Simon, do you want to come up with the band again? No, oh, is he? He's put us in specific places with specific things to do. And it's in order that we can be the light to those around us. And we're not worrying about everything like everybody else is having to because we can trust in the Lord God, our savior. So don't worry. Paul's Paul's following God led him into prison. So it's not always gonna go how we think it should, but we can have this deep assurance in God. As we trust him, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can be at peace on the inside, knowing God's in control, even when everything is going wrong. So don't worry. Are you weary and burdened with your worry. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can. He came to set the captives free, and he's not just our hope for the future. He's our hope for the present. He wants to change your present. He came to take away our burdens, our sin, and everything that goes with it so that we can be free and he died and he rose again so that we can have a relationship with him and with God the Father. So that we can trust in the one who made it all and not worry about all the things that we think we have to worry about. So that we don't have to worry about the future, our future here and our future after. So don't worry. Also, if you just feel anxious, if you have anxiety, you know, we all have these thoughts. If you really struggle with them, If you've got anxiety about the future or if you're just anxious about everything, Jesus doesn't want you to be. You don't need to be. He wants to free you. This might sound really simplistic, but he's supernatural. It takes a supernatural intervention by the Holy Spirit in our lives to change our thinking and to remove this. And I mean, it might just be that you feel a little bit anxious and you usually turn it back to God, but something's weighing on your mind. Or it might be that you're bound up by this and he wants to set you free. He wants to release the captives. So if that's you this morning, please feel free to come up for prayer after. We'd love to pray with you. Even if we look busy, just, just grab a hold of us and we'd love to pray with you. Or if you wanna become a Christian this morning and you want Jesus to be your Lord and savior, come up at the end to find us and we'll pray with you. We'd love to. Trust in God and don't worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and have assurance that he holds your future. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Amen, bless you guys.